Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to another episode of Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Richard Sanford of Dauntless Design Collaborative, which launched in 2009. Uh, pleasure to speak with you, Richard. Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Lindsay. Good to be it on. Is, it is very nice to speak with you. Uh, you reached out to Alex following one of our last shows where you were mentioned in regards to laser scanning. Yeah, yeah, and I appreciated that that shout out, and um, yeah, I, I found you know it was uh, something that's near and dear to my heart. The conversation you and Alex were having on that episode, and I found myself talking to both of you, <laughs> talking back to both of you while I was listening to it. And obviously, you guys could not hear me, so it's uh, good to be on now, and we can have a chat about that and other things. It is nice to close the loop. So, in yeah. 2009, you kind of sailed off on your own. How did that go? Yeah. So, yeah. So, like a lot of people at that time, uh, I was I was working for a firm prior to two, 2009. So, yeah, I worked for a firm in in uh, 08, and then you know, I went to school in Philadelphia, and you know, had worked for a number of firms in those you know 10 or 11 years that it was, and you know, got a lot of great experience that way. But you know, in 08, or I guess it was around June, uh, I was working for a firm. We were doing uh, large uh, casino projects. So they really only had, they had a, a large two and a half billion dollar casino in Atlantic City. And then another one that was, I believe, four billion dollars. Did I say two and a half million or billion? I think I said, it, it is billion. Big number. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but then they had a four billion dollar casino out in uh, Vegas at the time. So, you know, with the economy and all that stuff, obviously things were starting to shut down. And that was happening, you know, on these projects as well. Uh, I know that, you know, fast forward to whatever, you know, 12 years later or whatever, the one that I worked on in Lake City has been built. Um, it actually closed. The, that company uh, claimed bankruptcy. Somebody else bought it, which is a story I can tell in a little bit uh, <laughs> about that. But, um, but you know, so that, and that, that building is open. But I know that the other project they've worked on, that construction halted on that, and that company never finished it. And I think, you know, somebody ended up coming in and, and buying that building. It was a shell of a building, you know, 30 story tower or whatever. So, you know, but everything was hit, you know, with, with the economy and the firm, I believe had maybe 150 people. And, you know, I think when all was said and done, they were down to maybe 20 or 30. Wow. Um, but I call myself lucky actually, because I was actually um, cut in one of, I don't know if it was the first round of layoffs or, or what, but I think I was a little early and I have my theories of why, and we don't have to really get into all of that. You did, like you're, the story behind Dauntless is pretty compelling. You can like you're, the little bio and like the, the name that you chose, like how did you yeah. jump into that? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I was, I was giving a little bit of backstory there because I, I got tied into, um, I got a job with, uh, uh, a, a security consultant firm who was working on the casino project I was working on. And they, um, long story short with that was they hired me as a contract worker uh, and convinced me, they were like, well, why don't you start your own company? You know, so I had the light bulb moment went off and I was like, oh, here's my opportunity. 
you know, and the other yes. thing about yeah, that's yeah. a wonderful idea. Let's yeah, yeah. I, I, re I still remember the, the moment because I was taking a train and then riding a bike about a half hour to get to their office. They weren't in the most, you know, I went from working in Philadelphia where you get on a train, you walk a couple blocks and you're in your office to working for the security consultant who is down near the Jersey Shore somewhere where, yeah, there was no trains nearby. And we didn't, my wife and I at the time, we only had one car. And she needed the car. We had a, you know, three or four year old, you know, at the time. So she used the car and I, I rode a bike, but I was sitting on the train platform, you know, just ride from riding a bike that day when the, the owner of that company was like, you should start your own company. And I was like, wait, here's the opportunity, you know? And, uh, you know, I, I, I took the steps that was late 2008 and then 2009. And, um, you know, I started, started my company. It wasn't Dauntless Design Collaborative at the time. Um, you know, I kind of just used my own name at first. And then, um, a few years later, I, 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 for a couple of years had the firm in, um, in Philadelphia. Um, but then when I moved it back over to New Jersey, cause I, I lived in a town close to Philadelphia and then we moved further away from Philadelphia and it was like a three hour commute back and forth total that I just was like that. This is silly. I could, that's three hours Oregon. I could spend. Yeah, I could spend, you know, you know, charging to a client and doing work. So I moved it back home for a period of time. But because of the licensing laws, licensure laws in between Pennsylvania and New Jersey, I couldn't keep what I had had as a name. My, the name I had when I was in Pennsylvania was Sanford Architects, which is my last name. But New Jersey doesn't allow me to have, wasn't allowing me to have that name because I was the only licensed architect in my firm. I mean, I'm the only person in my firm. I'm, you know, solo practitioner basically. And, uh, so because it said architects plural, the state wouldn't let me use that. So then I had to figure out a way to come up with a new name. Cause I didn't, I just didn't like the idea of like Richard Stanford architect or anything like that. I just, I just didn't like it. I wanted to have like some type of name. So, um, I, was thinking of different, a couple different things, but then my, um, unfortunately, you know, 08 was a tough year and lost my job, but also my father-in-law had passed in 2000, earlier in 2008. And my father-in-law was an aeronautical engineer. And when he retired, uh, my mother-in-law and him, they moved up to Bar Harbor, Maine. And one of the things he did before retirement was he was hired to be part of the engineering team for uh, America, America won, you know, the America cups, like, you know, yacht race. And it was uh, the year previous they had lost for the first time. So I guess they cleaned shop and got new engineers and my father-in-law ended up becoming involved with them. I'm, I'm not sure exactly how, but he was on the engineering team. So when he moved to Bar Harbor, after all of that experience was he started his own um, sailboat company where he was just building like wooden 15 you know 14 foot 16 foot um wooden sailboats but he used all the engineering concepts from the um from his experience with america one and he named it dauntless enterprises so when i was trying to think of a name a new name for my firm i had um i spoke to my mother-in-law and, and i was like look you know i'd like to to use the name dauntless um for for my new firm you know you know kind of in honor of of your, of your husband and things like that. And she agreed to that. So, it's a good um, name. yeah, I like it. Uh, yeah. It also tied in with, um, I do, uh, MMA training as a hobby. 
mm-hmm. jiu-jitsu, more type. So Dauntless kind of has that kind of like, you know, fighter type thing too. I well, think honestly, a little bit too. I don't, I mean, I'm sure you could speak to this going out and, you know, forging your own way in the entrepreneur space. You do need to be Dauntless. Like it's, yeah. Uh, tenacity that is unique. Uh, you get into a lot of uh, challenges that you don't think that you can overcome, and then somehow something happens and you can push through. Yeah. Um, but it does. It's healthy, I would say, to like have that mindset going into mm-hmm. it. And if you're, you know, if you were speaking to your younger self, is there it did is that something that was part of like inherent in your in your upbringing or is this sort of some going through your professional experiences you just had to acquire? Well, like the, the kind of in terms of like, oh, always moving forward or yeah. you know, that type of attitude. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think, uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's like more self-taught. Like I just, I, you know, growing up, I was just very independent. Um, I mean, my parents got divorced when I was like nine or 10 uh, and we lived with my mom and she worked in the evenings. She was a, uh, a dance instructor and, and things like that. So there was a lot of like kind of teaching moments that I just had to kind of figure things out on my own. Yeah. And I found myself having a paper route, um, you know, working as a dish, you know, in a dish room, like doing multiple things, always just kind of like keeping myself busy, moving forward, trying to grow, trying to, you know, go on and, you know, and not, not taking no for an answer in some ways I, the, 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 the paper route was a very unique thing because we had to sell our subscription. So we had to go door to door, you know, so you know, here I I mean, am. it is very healthy to learn a young age, uh, some sell techniques. Yeah. Yeah. And so, it, it serves, uh, it serves you well as you, as, as you get older and move into like big, big world stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So as a 12 year old, I was like, you know, knocking on doors and people are like, no, we don't need, you know, we don't need that. And then you just go to the next one. And <laughs> eventually somebody says yes. And you know, you learn from, from that as well. So when you're, when you're building your company and you're noticing like what's available on the market to people that are interested in um, architecture, was there a, you know, a philosophy or an approach that you wanted integrated into the, your uniqueness was because I, I mean, you and I have talked about laser scanning, but we also talked mm-hmm. about build, building information modeling. Was that something that you saw as like a, a differentiator when you started Dauntless? Def, definitely when I started, I saw it as a, a differentiator, um, you know, because I was, you know, from at from 2009, I was, you know, the firm I worked for was an AutoCAD environment, um, but they were starting to get into Revit. And um, I, I ended up self-teaching myself Revit because in the office, they would, they would only um, uh, do the training if you were working on a specific project, but they, but they told me I, I wanted to learn it. And they're like, well, we have a license. There's tutorials there. You can teach yourself. So I started actually doing that um, in that office. But then, um, you know, when I got out, I, uh, I had to make a decision quickly. And so I, I ended up making the decision about Revit. And, uh, you know, kind of full steam ahead with that. But uh, I used to, yeah, I would be very well, like, I'm doing it in 3D. I'm, you know, everything is connected. There's going to be less, you know, any, any of those benefits you could think of from, from you know, if, if you're trying to buy, you know, Autodesk is selling you Revit, you know, I'm kind of using those as a, as a way to kind of sell my services at the same time. And, uh, you know, and I would, be, you know, basically tell people, I'm like, yeah, I'm completely different than 
than what you're used used to. You know, I mean, again, talking about 2009. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I'm we're still at a space where I'm I'm trying to explain what building information modeling is. Yeah. differentiating between, well, I'm using Revit, but Revit doesn't default to being a building, to being building information modeling. It's like we're, we're slowly evolving what the deliverable is in architecture and design. Yeah. Um, so it's not always easy to get your clients to understand that differentiator, but, but it is significant and it takes a different mindset to get into it. Um, mm -hmm. Where did you, so at what point did you discover like the power of laser scanning and, and how it fit into the Revit platform? Uh, it was a few years ago. Um, you know, I, th I think like a lot of it's, you know, even when like Vim's first introduced, you start seeing articles, you know, whether it's in, in our industry and, and whatnot. Um, and I really saw laser scanning as a way to one, it, I mean, I, I, you know, I feel it's a more accurate way to capture uh, existing Agreed. conditions. Yeah, I I kind of have to laugh when people are like, you know, because the, the camera, those companies, they have to provide like what the level of accuracy is. And they say, you know, within 1% accuracy or something. And when people kind of resist it because they're like, well, it's 1%. I'm like, yeah, but when you're out there with a clipboard, you're probably 10%, you know, off. You know, yeah. it's, it's like. It's what did I want around to that day? Yeah, yeah. And, and it's like, well, and everybody has that experience when they were, were measuring, you know, with a clipboard and a tape measure where you take all the pictures, you take all the measurements, you go back, you start drawing up whatever you, you surveyed, and you miss that corner or you miss that point. You know, there's, mm -hmm. there's always, everybody has that experience. I don't, I don't know anybody who has never had that experience. Well, yeah, because humans yeah. are imperfect. So therefore, yes. we have imperfect data. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, so the, you know, with the, with the laser scanning, I just I saw that as a really neat thing, you know, but then of course you see the price mm -hmm. of this equipment. So that's a little bit, it probably, I pulled the trigger a little bit later than I probably would have liked because I'm like, oh, well, I don't have $50,000 or anything like that. But I will say, I forget when, maybe it was three years ago when the Leica BLK 360 was introduced. Right. Mm -hmm. And I mean, still that's a $20,000 product, but I was like, Oh, this is a game changer. It's now we're finally now we're talking where things are like starting to get that price point. You know, like TV flat screen TVs used to be thousands of dollars, and now you can get one for a couple hundred bucks. You know, so right. I I just was like, okay, now 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 we're talking. So um, <laughs> now we're winning and we're cooking with gas. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. So I ended up was I was trying to get get the BLK. It didn't work out financing wise or whatever. So. I did end up pulling the trigger on a Matterport camera, you know, and um, not, and yeah, I, I would prefer to have the BLK, but it's still, it got me into the space, got well, me yeah, into I actually mean, scanning. Yeah. Honestly, when you're getting into documenting, documenting uh, a structure, half mm -hmm. the battle is trying to um, capture all of the, all of the interactions yeah, feeling structure, walls, finish, and so having that image to refer back to, and the level of detail is pretty solid on the Matterport. I mean, mm -hmm. how, the exterior, not the the light issue that Matterport has with capturing an exterior, is a little uh, limiting. Um, but definitely, especially given uh, you know quarantine circumstances, those Matterport deliverables are very powerful. Oh yeah. I mean, we can, 
you know, fat, like actually just in recent hit in recent uh, months, uh, myself and, uh, you know, Mike, who you, you and I've had a conversation with, who I believe will be a guest at some That's point. Some point. Yeah. Yeah. We'll yeah. Um, we, we both work together and he does, he does more of, you know, the Leica products and that, but both of us got an opportunity to scan the Shapiro house by Louis Kahn over in Philadelphia. That's super um, exciting. Yeah. So he, he was doing the exterior. I was doing the interior with the Matterport and we were able to put stuff together and it was for a documentation package for another architect who had, uh, he had actually worked on a different Louis Kahn house in Philadelphia. Um, so from that experience, somebody was buying the Shapiro house. It was the first time this, the Shapiro family actually sold the house. Um, so he's, this, this other architect was known to already work on Louis Kahn houses. So he got hired but he hired us then to, uh, you know, do the scanning and capture all the existing data. I mean, we had all kinds of drawings, but it's still, you need to have that, you know, go out and take your measurements, however you're going to take them, you know, as, as architects, we have to do that legally. So, yeah. you know, so we, we, we did that and we're able to, I was happy to be involved with that job, but that's one of those things that happened with me with getting the Matterport. Like I got the Matterport to just scan my own projects, mm-hmm. you know, and I was looking at it more of a way of like, yeah, I wanted to get in the space. I thought the laser scanning was interesting, but it also, then I didn't have to have that second person. You know, I was, I was hiring like a high school kid to help me for a day. It's, that, yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah. And you then, know, so, uh, then you have two humans that are deciding what they're going to round to. And, and yeah, 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 yeah. And it, it, you know, mo- monetarily it was like, it, it was easier, you know, it was much easier for me to pay uh, a high school kid $15 an hour or whatever it was than, you know, another architect <laughs> to come help I me. Probably, you know? I had that thought today. I'm like, well, I don't have to pay, I don't have to pay a software overtime and yeah. I can't overwork the software. Yeah. So that's, yeah, a, yeah. that's a plus to technology adoption. Yeah, yeah. And I also think back to one, one of the last times I actually had uh, a high school kid help me um, do, do a survey by hand. We had lunch afterwards because I always, I always make sure you, get, you, feed, you, know, you feed to help and all that stuff. But there ended up being an earthquake. Get out of here. When we're having lunch in New Jersey. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I'm sitting in a restaurant and the ducks are, are going and everything. And, uh, you know, a little aside to that, the same week my daughter was born, you know, so this, this is actually eight years ago or whatever, but she was born in a hurricane. So we had a hurricane and earthquake all in the same week. <laughs> you know, so that- Not so, control mother nature. Yeah, yeah. So, but I, I always, I always look, like think back to that. I was like, oh yeah, I don't want to, I, I want to get this laser scanner because I don't want to have people have earthquakes again. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, consistency is important. And I would say that from what I'm hearing, you were able to build um, a network of others that supported you in your adoption and like, you know, reinforced uh, the processes. Like, is there a resource? Have you found any ways to kind of fast track workflows when you're trying to take on a, you know, a new technology, new, new software? Um. Yes, I mean, I mean, obviously the 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 scanning in that already, you know, quickly makes things go. But then now let's go to the documentation side. There's yeah. a whole new a whole new problem because you're drawing from a, a different a different way. So it's really, I mean, I go back to like the you know self-taught, like how I 
learned Revit, it like, you know, went to the tutorials, whether they were, you know, in, in the software themselves or, you know, Google, internet, all that stuff. So I, you know, looked into a number of, you know, things. I'm like, well, how do you, what's the proper way to convert a point cloud to, to, to mm -hmm. be usable in Revit and all this stuff. And, you know, some of it's just tinkering, you know, actually one of the things um, Mike and I had found with um, the point cloud, once you have it in Revit is this set, the, the color settings on the point cloud itself. Yeah. Because it, def yeah, it defaults to the RGB. So it looks like, you know, as if it was pictures, but we found one of the settings, I think it was normals makes like kind of uh, really um, it's like kind of a purple green. It's still kind of RGB, but it's a different like kind of spectrum of colors. Yeah. But it focuses on edges. Right. So you see everything clear when you're setting up your, when you're matching, I call it a template, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and it, it was really is important. <laughs> yeah, we had, and it was really just me going, clicking on every different color. Cause we had a, a project we did together where we had a basement where the lighting wasn't that good. And I have flashlights and things like that, but it was mm -hmm. just in certain corners or whatever, where the lights weren't quite reaching. We were like, we couldn't tell what it was. So I just kept on clicking on each little, each little setting. And then all of a sudden we're like, I'm like, what's this one? Oh, this is, this is, you know, perfect, perfect. So now we use it and we actually, it's funny because every once in a while on both of our social medias, we'll share like, oh, the normal setting, it came back and, and you know, <laughs> you know, did, did its job again and, and all of that. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't say it's like a, you know, quick, like, you know, I got to wake up and here, here's that advice. It's more like you got to mess, you got to, you got to mess with your toys a little bit and kind of get yeah. under the hood, get yep. under the hood to figure, figure it out. That was a huge point uh, when I was when I was lear first learning Revit. There was a kind of there's stages where things kind of unlocked for me, and uh, one of them was taking Sposta off the table. <laughs> if you watch uh, if you watch The Simpsons, someone's got a case of the Spostas. Okay. And I would get into this software, and I had it in my head, like psychologically, like I'm supposed to know this. I should know how this is. And then one day, I'm like, you know what? This is all weird. <laughs> so you gotta uh -huh. just, you just gotta roll with it and stop setting your expectations that you should know this. And I yeah. felt like that kind of unlocked my ability to find the answers that I needed yep. to look for. Um, mm -hmm. And the school of YouTube and Google are just priceless. Because you can see yeah, how different yeah. people are doing different things. When you got mm -hmm. like a hundred ways to build a wall in Revit, there's also a hundred ways to set up your laser scan uh, methods, uh, targets, all of those things. And honestly, it's about finding a great workflow for you, but also kind of trying to find where people are posting information that you know they've broken through a few of those barriers. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely um, you know, and then you find then you find as you as you keep on doing that, then you start kind of filtering out some of the things you thought were were great at first, and then you're like, wait, wait, no, no, that's bad advice. <laughs> that <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a number yeah. of uh, endeavors that I kind of went down, and then you get to the far side of your deliverable, and you're like, nope, 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 don't do it that way, because it yeah, yeah. the cascading consequences. Um, are challenging. And I can imagine uh, when you're first trying to learn, you know, a new software, the software like Revit was relatively new when you were starting to uh, adopt and train. So, I mean, you've had to evolve with 
the software, I, I can imagine, because I started working in it in 2016. The 2016 version is very different than the 2020 version. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, it, it, it's interesting because like when I was mentioning earlier, when I f first was started working with that security consultant, the they, they, were, they are my first client. And I say are because they still are a client of mine. Um, but it started off as it was just AutoCAD work. But then eventually they were like, hey, we got this job. We got to do it in, in Revit. Can you help us? I was like, yeah, sure. And the experience with a huge billion-dollar casino job or re casino renovation job, still big, you know, and big, big firm names there that came in was, was a great experience because we're dealing with projects where you have an architecture model, but there may be five or six architecture models because it's like a casino building is many buildings in one. You know, mm -hmm. so you have an interior design model for a restaurant space. You have a separate one for just the casino floor. You have another one for the shell of the building. And then you talk about all the different trades, the structural model, the mechanical model, the electrical model, et cetera. You know, so you have all of these different models. And one thing that really surprised me was like you have these big, big firms and no standards, really. Yeah. You know. And or they would be like like the biggest thing would be like, oh well, so how do I insert your model into my into my model and start working and there were like there was no in the early days there was zero direction it was like oh insert by origin point or whatever and then you're good I'm like oh no that doesn't work you know so you would always have like okay let's you know i said 15 models right so the first mm -hmm. the architecture model always comes in right you do the, you know when they even when they started having some directions but then you'd always have that one model that comes in and it's 700 feet you know, over on the side. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Gosh. So, uh, the, um, there was, you know, a, a big lack of standards. And, um, I mean, even to this day, it surprises me sometimes when I work on some of those bigger jobs wh where, you know, the standards aren't really there or, or the way they had the standards set up. I'm like, yeah, I've had conversations with my security consultant client where I'm like, their, their standards are wrong. The, the way you yeah. insert the models, they're, they're not, you know, and I'm not, I'm not trying to get into the, the little nitpicky well, I know, parts, but that's but, yeah. like when you're trying to break through and you try and get into what I call single source BIM and mm -hmm. a federated model, um, the, the work, the best practices of each of those uh, individual companies that are pulling those designs in matters. And yeah. it, at the time when this was all first getting adopted, I felt like there was a lot of protectionism about your, your files you know, yeah. you wouldn't want to share your your Revit file with another firm because it, it felt like you were just giving away your IP. Yep. So it's really exciting, I think, to see how they're creating a, an environment where those models can come together, but it isn't it isn't uncomfortable to push that data yeah. into one place. Yeah. That, that, and actually, it's 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 interesting because you if you talk about like a BIM 360 uh, product and all of that, where yeah. Um, the really interesting thing I found with BIM 360 was, um, and this will go outside of our industry a little bit, but like I had a hard time understanding what Bitcoin was. <laughs> and, Alex and Lance can talk about Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But one, when they, but the technology behind the blockchain technology right. about it. So I just, I started looking up like, well, how does blockchain solve? And then, you know, when you, if you think contractually, like the, all the access, you know, everybody has access to the information. I'm like, that's how BIM 360 set up. 
I'm like, I've been working in the blockchain technology for years now. We're already done. <laughs> yeah. Did it. Yeah. I was like, okay, I get it. Now I get it. You know, I mean, there's the confusing part with Bitcoin and the mining and all that stuff. But, but, uh, but yeah, but the, the blockchain technology, I was like, oh, we're, I'm already working in that, 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 that there. So, you know, if, if, if a technology like that becomes a little bit more, let's, let's just say acceptable in the mm-hmm. general public, I think, you know, the, the collaborative aspect of, of, of what we're talking about in this, you know, the digital design and, um, you know, cloud-based stuff and all that stuff is, is, is probably going to become more acceptable as well. Um, you know? Yeah. Well, and it does come down to like, um, how, how the softwares are being, uh, marketed, but also the support that's behind Mm -hmm. them. Um, I found that that's one of my uh, distinguishers prior to, um, you know, buying a subscription or uh, buying a new piece of hardware is where's, what's the support behind it and making sure that there's people in process to, mm-hmm. to enlighten you as the best way to use it. Like I, I can create a laser scan, but I want to make sure that that laser scan um, data is usable to a broad spectrum. And so knowing the full scope of the project before you get into like the, the, you know, either modeling or scanning is so significant. Mm -hmm. Um, and the downstream value is, is so profound that it's, it's really inspiring adoption much faster, but having the people and having the support in place to, you know, bounce those ideas and, you know, do like a little gut check, make sure you're doing things well is, is very important. I found. Yeah. No, I mean, it's like the idea of having like a mentor or something, it's, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, if you have somebody who can kind of get, guide you, you know, it's going to be more beneficial than if you're kind of thrown out there and, you know, <laughs> figure yeah. it out on your own. So and, did uh, you found mentors in regards to like your professional development in regards to building your company? Did you have an informal board of advisors or mentors that kind of helped you create the Dauntless concept? Uh, my wife. It's probably sounding board. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, my, my wife, she actually has her own business as well. She has, a, she's had a dance school for since like 2004, you know, so she's, you know, kind of lived through the, the, you know, the business owner experiences and, and things like that. Um, so that's been like my big sounding board. Uh, I, I realized like looking back in, into, you know, the history, like before our call, I was trying to think, I was like, well, you know, the, the idea of a mentor, is, is probably going to come up. And like, I realized a lot of people that I had, you know, prior to having my own business, they're more, I'm going to, you know, more like employees. Mm-hmm. They weren't necessarily entrepreneurs, you know, yeah, obviously there's, I have mentors in that environment in terms of who taught me how to like, you know, here's what you do on a construction site. Here's, here's the things you do when you're drawing casework elevates, you know, whatever it may be yeah. in that, in that case, but entrepreneur why I think now, though it's like because I've done like business a lot of business networking and that and I you know I would say the colleagues that I've gotten you know not in my industry but you know the the guy who owns a payroll company the guy who has the print shop you know people people like that who I stay in contact with or in networking groups with have become more of you know I, I consider them colleagues but they're also can be mentors. Did you find them through uh like a chamber of commerce or was it just in the course of developing your own business and having to like work with other companies to get, uh, I would say it's more the chamber of commerce route. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, 
I've done like the, the BNIs of the world and, you know, different things like that. Um, I've actually, these days I'm more of like these kind of, um, I'm gonna call them grassroots, but like local, local, uh, networking organizations. Um, I've, I, I haven't had a lot of success with the chambers and a lot of the chambers I've found in my experience have been more like private clubs. And like, if you're not in yeah, that club, yeah. yeah, it's, it's just like, yeah, you know, I remember, uh, the, my town's chamber of commerce, I presented, um, about, I think it was like, you know, land, land use approvals or zoning drawing approvals at a, at like a lunch and learn. And mm. it was me and a lawyer. So I presented with this lawyer and then I go a few months later to another event and that same lawyer comes up to me and introduces himself like he never met me. And I'm like, <laughs> we did a presentation together, buddy. <laughs> you know, I was standing next to you for 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, you know, so I, you know, so I, again, um, but the, these other the couple of uh, local networking groups that I've gotten involved with have been uh, the one I'm in is kind of like a, a, a good party. Um, you Sometimes know. you need that to yeah. keep, keep you going. I mean, nothing yeah. about building a business is easy. And I say, you know, you, you need to keep the enthusiasm going. Mm-hmm. Um, so knowing where you can find that, that en- the infusion of energy when things, when you're just kind of lagging has been very, very powerful on my side. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, I like to actually socialize with non, with people not in our field, to be quite honest. I agree. Yeah. I, uh, I, 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 I would you know, some people are like, Oh, you know, do you have any architecture friends? And I'm like, ah, I got guys, you know, guys and girls I went to school with and things like that. But, uh, yeah, no, I enjoy, you know, you know, spice, spice, what is it? Uh, the spice you know, of life, the spice of life, variety of variety life. is the spice of life. That's there I believe you go. Is. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I like to have, you know, different, different types of people, um, to, uh, you know, bounce ideas off of, or, you know, just simply, uh, socialize with, to be quite honest. That is true. Um, all right. So let's get into the 30 no's. Okay. Because, you know, you've built a company, you were in an existing company, it was very big. And then you were in the early part of like, you know, going into building information modeling, you know, what's the best no you've heard? Was it right? Was it wrong? Tell me about it. Yeah. So my, my no is actually a yes. And, um, yeah. So, Earlier when I was describing the beginning of my company was working on this, you know, two and a half billion dollar casino project. So uh, fast forward to, I think, maybe the end of 2015. So what's that about? So I'm about six years in, right? Mm-hmm. I get a call from uh, an architect down in Atlantic City. And I had done some support for for that company re- uh, in the, in the recent years right there. And they, they worked on that, this casino project as well. And, uh, like I was helping them do some existing condition surveys, drawing up some stuff for them, things like that. Um, cause that is, that is about 50% of my business. Um, but, uh, but let me just stay on topic here. So, uh, they, they call me up and they go, Hey, we have a perfect client for you. I'm like, okay. And they were like, you remember, the casino, you know, like, yeah, obviously they're like, well, do you know, so-and-so, and it was this guy who was, you know, so the casino company had claimed, you know, filed for bankruptcy. And then, you know, they sold the building to this um, developer and um, a very interesting guy. 
But, um, you know, so they say, do you know him? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've heard, heard about him in the news. They're like, well, he would like to meet you. And I was like, okay, great. You know, what for? And he's like, well, you know, he's looking for an, ar- he's looking <laughs> he's for an architect. Context. Honestly, yeah, yeah. like you say, like someone says to me, I have the perfect client for you. It's a huge red flag that it's probably yeah, yeah. the opposite of perfect. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, and you have somebody who you can look up on the news and find, you know, and th- this guy, <laughs> there's, there's dirt on this guy in the news, you know, for different things. So, so I'm like, I'm like, okay. You know, he's like, well, we're going to give you the number. To, we're going to give your number to him and he's going to give you a call. And I'm like, well, hold on. <laughs> I'm like, he's looking for an architect. Why aren't you doing it? And he's like, and they said something like, oh, we're too busy or something like this. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. All right. So, um, I hang up the phone and literally like two minutes later, I get this call from, he's from Florida. So it was like a, I'm not sure what the Florida area code is, but it was a number from, you know, it said like, you know, whatever city, Florida. (laughs) Okay. And I was like, okay. So I pick up the phone and it's him. And this was a Friday. I'm actually in the middle of a deadline. And he goes, well, I'd like to meet you. I'm like, okay. When would you like to meet? He's like, can you come down tonight? I'm like, well, I'm in the middle of a, of a, a deadline. I'm like, I'll probably be done about five or six. He's like, come on down right after that. I was like, okay, you know. <laughs> so I go down, I meet with the guy, I go to the building, you know, and and when I left, when I got laid off from that other firm, you know, there was I have a theory that there was some office politics, and I actually heard stories later on, like I got laid off, but then got blamed for things that weren't actually true. Oh, you know, the dark all, underworld of firms. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I always had like a little bit of like I was like, oh, you know you know, you know, I was like upset that I got laid off. Right. You know, so I was like, Oh, here's my opportunity to kind of stick it to my old firm. I'm like, I'm the one who, you know, becomes the architect or whatever for, for this new guy and whatever the new version of this building is going to be. Cause there was about, I mean, it's a huge building. There was, there was, I think I figured it out. There was close to a million square feet that was never built in the building. Oh my God. That, that still needed, you know, whether retail spaces that never got filled in or just, I mean, there was areas at the edge of my seat. I need to know what happened. Yeah. Yeah. So I go, you know, I met, met with him. We go, he, he takes me out for dinner that night at a nice, you know, restaurant in Atlantic city. Mm -hmm. And we basically have a handshake agreement that I got hired, you know, and then the, yeah. So the following Monday or Tuesday, I got a call and he goes, can you come down? I'm like, yeah, I can come down. When do you want me to come down? Oh, I want you to come down now. And I was like, okay, you know, I was, you know, it was like the first thing I wanted to do. So it ended up, this was very similar. The, my experience with him was he would call me up on a day. He had an idea for some space in the building mm-hmm. and I would walk around with him. We'd kick around the ideas and these varied from a bowling alley to movie theaters, to different retail spaces, uh, a water park, go-kart tracks, um, a gun range, you know, like uh, all kinds of different ideas. And then he was even imagination in the news. this guy has. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, he had a, I mean, I can tell you afterwards the guy's name, but you, and you can look it up, but <laughs> no, I mean, he had a whole thing. Yeah. There was uh was it 2000 room hotel tower as part of this hotel Yeah. Um, building was at, and actually the, the, the base of the building was built to have a second tower too. So the potential to build a second 200 room tower, he was talking about building it and making it a tower for geniuses was literally okay. his quote. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> you know. how did the how did the no be a yes? You mean the yes be a no? How did the yes be a no? Yeah. So <laughs> 
the, the, the no came because, you know, let's fast forward a year and a half later. Cause I had those experiences and I hardly did a drawing. Okay. You know, it was just, it, it just, but the guy was paying. So then he stopped. He started complaining a little bit cause I was getting char- I was charging by the hour. That was our agreement. Um, um, but then he stopped he started shorting me payments and then I was like, okay, I'm out. I'm done. You know, yeah. I'm done with this. So a few years later, maybe a year or so later, one of the, that, that architecture firm who called me up, uh, one of their, I think he was either a senior associate or a principal. Um, he was all of a sudden, he wasn't part of the firm anymore. You know, I forget how I found out, but I call him up and I was like, Hey, you want to have lunch? And he's like, yeah, sure. So, you know, and we, we had talked cause and, you know, there was different parts of the conversation, but the, the one I eventually asked, I was like, hey, why did you guys pass up on that project? And he was like, oh, we didn't want to deal with that guy. And we just figured you were the type, we could just, you, you'd be excited to work on it with the history and the building and all that different stuff. And I was like, yeah. But then now that I look back, the reason why I consider it a no, uh, you know, a no for me and something that I learned from was, I went into that with those bad feelings I had for my previous job. Right. You had a gut. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to stick it to them and and show them that I can do it and all that stuff. And I was like, did I make money? Yes. And all that stuff. But it probably didn't really help me. Like I probably, even though I had, I did hire two people. It was the first time I had two employees got an office. There was some development around that, having that client that was positive. But. Yeah, but I also feel that I kind of just kind of stayed at the same level for a while. Like I really wasn't growing because after that project was done, you know, the money wasn't there and, you know, the employees went away and I was back to, to myself. And then I also had an 800 square foot office to myself and I, that I'm, I have a three-year lease on. Yeah, and, I, well, and I've heard um, in the professional space that you often make more on the no's that you give and the yeses. Um, And being able to read a client or the environment or the project group. And I've run into this myself. It's, you know, you do have a gut and you say, is this going to further my uh, professional abilities or is this going to kind of stifle my development? Yeah. Uh, And it's a good metric to have in place. And it sounds like you were able to kind of reflect on that and, were you able to kind of use those principles moving forward? Yeah. Well, it, it, it's like one of these things like that call, you know, there was red flags all over the place. Yeah. Like, like, you know, I mean, you, you were picking it up just from me telling the story, yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah, I'm going into it. Like, uh, you know, I'm like, oh, I don't, I probably shouldn't be doing it. You know, like I shouldn't go forward, you know, but right. it's like, it's really like, you know, and that's something that I could always tell somebody if they wanted to start, I'm like, always trust your gut. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, 99% of the time, your gut is right. If you don't think this is right, you know, heck, I had, I had a conversation before our call today with, with somebody where I was like, why did I take this project? You know, it's not, I mean, I'm going to make a little bit, of, I'm making a profit, but I'm like, it's not, it's like one of those things where it's like, I, I have four other projects I need to be working on that are, right. that are, that are get me fired up. This project is a foundation designed for a prefab home. It's, it's yeah. going to pay the bills a little bit, but it's not like I, I'm not moving. I'm not, I don't feel like I'm moving forward. I do have a, like I have a little mantra that I kind of use when I'm in those deciphering moments. That's, am I, is, 
am I adding value or am I adding noise? Uh -huh. And I use that, well, I mean, even regards to social media posts, it's a good baseline to say, like, am I adding value? Am I, and the same thing with, like, the, the role that you'll take in a project. Am I adding value or am I adding noise? And it doesn't do you professionally any good if, if you're the noise. Right. Um, and, and to know where your value is is, is a profound, like, uh, benchmark to reach is knowing what your value is and how you can add value to each, each of your endeavors. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's a good filter. Yeah, and you know, in the ex example I was just giving in my call earlier today was like I found myself, I'm like, I was still in selling mode when mm -hmm. I'm actually, the, the, it's the permit drawing. Like I'm describing why I put eight inch CMU the whole way up to the, the underside of the floor, you know, <laughs> like, and I'm like, well, code requires this, this, and this. And I'm like, oh, I'm still selling to this guy. Yeah. Where it's like, oh yeah, that's not, you know, I sh that, that, you know, it just backs up the gut feeling again. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, well, I think because you have such longevity in the industry and we, you, you spoke about how you like to diversify your social endeavors and not necessarily hang out with folks in the industry. Um, yeah. Can you, we have listeners that are outside design and construction space. If you had to share like some key points in regards to what they should know before they go into a design or construction process, what would that be? Uh, it's probably going to take longer than you think. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's probably number one. Um, you know, well, what is that's... the role of an architect is always something that I've, I'm trying to like, leapfrog because I do find that there's there's architects that focus very much on the artistic side of the space and then there's others that are more focused on the technical and then an owner right. trying to hire like how do you pick which one you need yeah um and I have actually an owner who picked both once <laughs> you know like they they hired a different architect to do design and then he hired me to do the permit drawings mm -hmm. <laughs> you know so but um but yeah no it's the um well it's it, it's interesting when you when you mention like the the design and the, the technical because you know there's also the, the the builder part of the equation and i always feel like the the my experience that the builder always thinks that we're just we just know design we don't know any of the technical oh yeah and, we've gotten love put those put the lines on paper yeah <laughs> which and is why well, i but, do love building information modeling because yeah yeah of course you that's Think about all that yeah and that's my big selling point when it comes to to bim is i'm like well you know everything's in 3d i remember back in 2010 maybe one of my first pro one of my first bigger projects it was a four unit condo building historic renovation of a building in, in center city philadelphia where we were um cutting a hole through the roof and doing a roof deck and then so we had a sloped roof i remember having the conversation with the the, the builder because there was flat deck and then the sloped roof, and then there was another sloped beam. Um, I forget why, I'm trying to remember why there was a, th there was a kind of a third, like a second layer of slope, slopeness. <laughs> That's a technical <laughs> term, but, but, uh, but I remember being out there where I was like, no, no, that beam's sloped. And the, and the builder's like, why would that beam be sloped? And I'm like, I modeled it. Like I knew it in the model. Fair. You yeah, know, and, and I was I was having this conversation where I was so I was a hundred percent confident of what I was saying was correct. Now, two thousand ten, you know, BIM three hundred and sixty and everybody with iPads stuff like that that wasn't 
quite happening yet. Right. You know, but, uh, but yeah, it was a big, big thing for me where I was like, Oh no, this, it's a, a huge benefit for me because I've seen it beforehand. And, mm-hmm. or if there's a question that comes up, you know, you cut a quick section or something like that. You have all the, if you, if you model everything correctly to how it needs to be built, then you're, you know, you're so far ahead of the game. Um, well, and I think it is great when, well, now where we are in the uh, building information modeling space is that you have an opportunity to have those co- conversations with a builder ahead of field construction. Yes. So you don't necessarily have to be standing in the field deciphering those pitches and interactions. Yeah. I mean, heck, I, I even have a builder um, who, who hires me sometimes for projects where he leads to the homeowner. He goes, oh, yeah, my architect, he has this really cool camera. And he captures everything, so we're not going to miss anything. And then he has everything in 3D. He'll show you some really cool pictures, when, you know, so you can really understand the design. So it's like, you know, now I have, it's, you know, even builders are kind of selling those services. Well, and honestly, that's where I thought um, building information really took off, is that, it, you know, yeah. if it was positioned to the design space, it's not always the most friendly to, to get your ideas out because there are, uh, restrictions and constraints when you're just trying to conceptualize the space. But then when you're getting to the actual documentation, um, you know, when builders and owners see the downstream benefits of it, um, I, I do think the adoption has picked up because of that inclusion. And, you yeah. know, your, your company is design collaborative. <laughs> yeah. And, and, so, and to, yeah, to add to that point, I had noticed that I looked at my numbers and that 50% of my business is actually more BIM consulting. Mm -hmm. And that's been doing work for contractors, um, you know, other designers, you know, just BIM support on, you know, I I do work for an interior designer who who does large uh, senior living facilities, you know, so they don't, they hardly touch Revit. It's I'm, I'm doing it for them. You know, yeah. um, you know, and and on the the hands that, you know, there's lots of different ways to do it, but if the tools there, let's use it. Yeah. And I have, you know, with on the contractor side, I have found that, you know, I'm clicking on the structure of this. I have Revit open right in front of me. So I'm just reading them <laughs> off, but structure steel, well, not necessarily PCAST, but uh, systems, you know, those tabs that aren't necessarily architecture. Um, I've dived into those too, because some contractors, you know, electrical contractor calls me up. I got a lab building that on the University of Pennsylvania's campus. It's going to be multiple phases, multiple floors. The building's still going to be open, all this different stuff. We have to coordinate and do all the conduit runs. Can you help me and and model our our conduit and equipment? I'm like, yes. Yes. Did I, did I know how to do all of that stuff when I said yes? Not necessarily. (laughs) No, but it's, it's important. I would say to have those triggers that get you going. Yeah. And no, I loved, I love that job. I loved going down to the, uh, to the job site. You know, it was a bigger job. It was more complicated. It was, it was, you know, previous, previous life as an employee going to job sites talking as an architect but here now I'm on the contractor only meetings I honestly have that experience as well I can be in the office and I can be like knee deep in modeling and then sometimes my brain just melts down and I call up any of the active construction sites and I'm like I gotta come down I gotta get I gotta get in the dirt I gotta feel this yeah 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 but, uh, but it's also seen how the contractors, construction management companies, how they're using the model, you know? So, you know, as an arch- as only an architect before, like you'd hear, like I'm thinking of like sitting in a meeting with engineers mm-hmm. and they're like complaining about CAD backgrounds or something. And you're like, 
what do you mean? It's, it's fine. Well, we're fine how we work. But when you go onto the other side of the table and then you receive that architect's model or the architect's drawings or whatever, and then you, you start understanding that it's like, it's going to help you in your own work, you know, yeah. you know, cause you know, go back to the collaborative aspect of it. It's like, you're see you're, you're kind of seeing, seeing all sides, you know, so you can help everybody. Well, there's small, like tiny, tiny, small things that make a huge impact when you're in field construction. I had a very awkward uh, building layout and the only way I could get it to fit on sheets is if it, I, if I had it at three eighths scale oh. and for permitting fine, but for active construction, my builder's like, no, right. <laughs> I got to yeah, be able yeah. to pull out my tape. I want to be able to scale things. So that was two very important pieces of information. One setting the scales on your sheets is, does have a direct impact on work efficiency and two, how how many dimension strings are you able to drop in your model so that if they're working off of paper plans, they don't have to pull out their tape. Right. You know, how, it's not hard to drop a dimension, but sometimes, you know, you don't want to make your drawings too cluttered or, you know, yep. you're just inclined, but you know, when it, it does help and seeing, you know, the little things that I could do while I'm in my model and getting things developed for the builder I mean, it's, it's a really nice and it's an important step to take is getting yourself out there and knowing how people are using the documents you're creating for them. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like because you model it doesn't mean you necessarily communicated it properly to all the parties. You know, you, you have to have those other steps and, and understanding how they communicate or how they read things. Yeah. To, and uh, the more we're in the model, the more assumptions end up on my sheet. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like yeah. I get so comfortable in the in the building, um, in my virtual experiences that you know sometimes you, you forget that they're they've never seen it, yep. you know, and you're handing over these documents and they're trying to, and that's why I really do appreciate um, having those project meetings that are, you know, virtual experiences not just for owners but for the builders so that they can they you can have that exchange ahead mm -hmm. of field construction. Yeah, and I always found myself lucky I'm 45 years old so I come from a time where like AutoCAD was just starting to take off when I was in high school like I took mm -hmm. like AutoCAD version two or three I believe you know with my senior year in high school was a draft for a drafting class so there was still a lot of the you know I'm going to call it old school you know hand drafters still like even in the offices when I start, first got out of school um, and I was taught a lot of different things of like, okay, when you're drawing, you're setting up a drawing sheet and, you know, when you mentioned dimension strings is like the big thing. Like I had a, a, you know, a project architect I worked under who was very particular about, you have, you know, you really only have three exterior strings, mm -hmm. overall volume, individual items, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and you go from there and he explained, you know, all those different steps for that. And so I use, still use those two of these to this day because I'm always like well yeah there's always going to be and you always run into it it's like yeah you had mentioned like there's still contractors who, who work in paper so you have to document for that you know but then yeah. you also have to document for for the other side of it for for the, the fully virtual person you know who may be working out there with an iPad or something so yes uh, and being able to straddle both of those I would say is uh is an important skill and also maybe a, a unique differentiator in yep. you know when you're starting a company it's like how how are you straddling those um different workflows yeah and that's actually the big selling point I do to this day like when you you asked me earlier about 
um, you know, a differentiator, you know, so we've talked about BIM and 3D modeling. Now I go the other way. I go, well, I have the experience of like, you know, the old school method. Analog. Yeah, yeah, I, I can do analog and digital, you know, mm-hmm. so that's like one of the things when we were mentioning earlier when I was talking back to you and Alex, you know, from, <laughs> from that episode, I was, you know, that was, those were things that I was kind of like saying to myself, really. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, you can't, you can't go hundred percent digital, um, you know, and that, you know, if, as you get more and more people who are coming up, who may have been raised on only digital, there's a huge, there's a huge differentiator right there. You know, they don't, they, they haven't experienced that, you know, because right. that's not, you know, this, I don't, I don't think the, uh, well, we want to get into talk, talk about architecture schools, but that's not really a, a point that the schools are pushing. You know? Well, I mean, that leads to an important question. I mean, what would you give, like, what advice would you give to a graduate or a younger person that's like looking to get into the industry is compelled by the digital, uh, the digitization of construction? Um, what would your, what would your advice be? Um, first would be to, yeah, to, to step away from the screen and have, and, and understand that it's a business of relationships, Mm -hmm. you know, and that you have to, you have to work with others. Um, you could have this great idea, but you, you have to be able to work with others in order to get that, that great idea built. Um, you can't do it. You can't do it alone. Um, so it's, uh, and th- that's key. I mean, I've, you know, I've worked some of these bigger jobs that I did work on as an employee, we were working with Starkitects, you know, mm-hmm. so I had, you know, had seen some of those attitudes where it was like, well, that's, you know, it doesn't really, it, it didn't really, it, it created problems, didn't solve problems. I mean, it's a great looking building at the end, but the, the process, in, in my opinion, was a little slowed down by some of, some egos, let's just say. <laughs> It does happen. Um, We're humans. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we definitely are. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's a, a very key is to, to understanding that, you know, you need to have those relationships to, uh, in order to, to, to move forward with, with, you know, with a project. Where do you find like educational pathways, uh, that can, you know, be productive? I've talked to young people that, um, have gotten into architectural programs as undergrads. Uh, they've gone, there's others that have waited, they've done something else as undergrad, then waited to do the architectural pathway um, post. Uh, do you have like a, you know, looking back, is there a way to have like fast-tracked or streamlined uh, the entrance into the industry? Um, I think uh, probably, you know, understanding construction and actually having to build something is, is very important. Um, you know, I'm not like a, a contractor in any way, but you know, I did, you know, just working on your own home, um, yeah. can be very helpful. Uh, I remember actually going back to when I was a student, uh, we had a, a professor of ours who was redeveloping his own projects. So a bunch of us would like, sometimes he, he'd hire some of us for like an entire summer to help on some of the projects. And I ended up becoming like a day laborer one day. Mm-hmm for him on a project, but he wanted to kind of teach us something at the same time. So me and my one buddy, um, he was like, look, we have a, uh, it, it was a window off of like a back deck. And he was like, design me something cool, I think is what he said. You know, so we had this whole idea where the window pops out, uh, rotates down on a, on a track and becomes a table out on the deck. 
Ooh. He's like, oh, but you have to build it in a day. <laughs> so he's teaching you a little bit about like uh, construction production rates. Yeah, yeah. So you know what we ended up doing was we ended up uh, uh, just being like, you know what, we're just going to keep this window and we're just going to fill it in with the spray foam. <laughs> That's like what we accomplished that day. And I learned about spray foam that day too. It's like you don't fill it with the throat because it expands. <laughs> that whole thing. So I spent half the day, you know, shaving the uh, <laughs> the spray foam off of the window. Um, but uh, but yeah, but that experience was great because it was like you know. I just, I was, you know, well, I was going into, I believe my fifth, my last year of school and, you know, I had done well in studio and all that different stuff. And, and, uh, you know, thought I knew everything about architecture cause I was a what 22 year old guy and, uh, you know, I kind of smacked down a little bit like, no, oh, no, it's not, it's not that easy. You know, it's not that easy. Mm-hmm. If you draw something up, it just doesn't get built. Um, you know, you gotta, you gotta figure things out and take some time. So. It is. Where do you, if you had to, someone totally outside the industry that doesn't understand uh, how digital is really kind of um, getting implemented into construction, you know, what is something you would say to those uh, folks about digital and how, you know, where collaboration meets? What are your thoughts? Um, One of the first things is it's not, it doesn't make a job more expensive. Yes, I totally agree. Yeah, it, it actually saves you money. Uh, just because it looks fancy doesn't make it more. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, the whole the whole idea of laser scanning. I mean, that's a big selling point that I that I put put out there now is that, that I'm like, look, I'm actually doing an entire you know survey of a house or building in much less time than if it was a crew of two or three people. And then, you know, I could break it down by, you know, hours, you know, I'm in and out. I did a house in like less than two hours and it yeah. was just me. You know, if you took my hourly rate, sure. I'm more, I'm more than, you know, the high school student or college student or intern or whatever, but you know, I could break it down where it's like, here's, here's proof in the pudding that, that this is, this is half the price. Right. So not only are you saving time in the doc, actual documenting process, but when you're in your modeling software, Mm-hmm. Your your ability to to model quicker, yeah. is also a value add. Yeah, I tell I tell people I used to not tell people this, but now when I'm like you know in a meeting with a potential client, I probably am like, oh, I'm a one person firm, and mm-hmm. here's why: I work in this software, and it saves me so much time. The court the coordination of drawing, I, you know, I don't jump into all all the nitty bit nitty gritty little stuff about it. But oh, I'm you're like, better than I do. I want everyone to know how the views all pop bi-directional associativity like all the things oh well i i've realized over the years that most people don't care <laughs> a little bit about that so i'm like why am i like you know you can see the eyes gloss over and i you know i, I kind of use that approach um but uh but yeah but no i use that as a selling point and uh you know i'm just like yeah I'm, you know because because that's the other thing is i can come up with a price sometimes and it might be like i might be the like lowest fee so people mm-hmm. are like, well, why are you the lowest fee? And I can kind of back it up of like how I came, came across that fee, you know, and right. some of it is like, yeah, I've, I don't have the overhead, you know, um, I don't have that 800 square foot office anymore, um, you know, but. Yeah, yeah, you can, you know. I would say production is a huge differentiator. However, you are offering, you know, like don't de- devalue yourself either. Mm-hmm. Like it's trying to yeah, find yeah. a healthy balance between, 
you know, one should be compensated more for leveraging uh, different approaches and technologies, not less if it's, you know, solely based on our production rates. But yeah, it's a, it is a difficult play. Uh, so if I'm working with a client, often I hear, um, or when I first started going down the digital construction pathway, uh, one of the big ones I heard was, uh, that's overkill. You don't need mm -hmm. that. Not on this right. size of project. Do you have a response to, to that feedback? Well, like I, I think of like, you know, when somebody sees a 3D model, they see it as more, there's more work. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, again, it goes back to, I'm like, no, it's less work. It's just like, I'm, when I draw a line, it's a wall, you know, and that wall has a height. So it just makes it in 3D. So, you know, and then here's four different views, right? Here's your elevation. Here's your section. I'm like, I draw the wall and then I add the door. It's included in all those three or four views automatically. Yeah. You know? So, so now, but before I had to do it four more, three more times. You know, so right. right there, I'm like, I did, I did all of that in 20, in 25% less time, you know, in theory that, you know, and that's, that, that's been a way for people to understand like that. And then of course, you know, just the benefit of the 3d, you know, I've had an easier way of showing, you know, cause some people can't read floor plans. Do you know, I you think know? The, it's, I think 97% of people cannot read floor plans. Yeah. You're an outlier yeah. if you can. Uh-huh. So that's, you're like part of 3%. Uh -huh. Well, like the, it creates a new inclusion in your design mm -hmm. process. It's yeah. got to be easier to, to convey your aesthetic or your, you know, concept. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's just so much, it's so much easier to, to, to sell that. And then if you come up, like, here's a great example. I have a, 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 a recent project, a current project that I have where it's a, do you, do you know what a Trinity is? Like a row home? So okay, it's an urban, or urban, I mean, I, well, row homes are pretty common. Yeah, thing. yeah. I don't think that's, that's on the East Coast. Thing. But a Trinity, I don't know if it's a, 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 it's a type of row home just for Philadelphia. Okay. But um, it's, I mean, it is, it is, it is a, let's just call it a tiny home row home. Okay. Um, and I'm not, usually it's three floors. Maybe that's why it's called a Trinity. But um, I have a client, they live in a Trinity. So it's the base, the base, what's the footprint of the house? It's like 15 feet wide by maybe 30 feet deep. Okay. You know? Yeah. And right. in the 30, 30 feet deep on the first, well, that, and that's the first floor. You have living room, dining room, kitchen, all within that 30 feet. And then when you go upstairs, it's only 18 feet to, deep total. Like basically there's a room on the second floor and a room on the third floor, you know, so real small. So it's a, a growing, you know, younger couple, they just had a, you know, their baby's like 10 months old or something. So they want to have an addition. So basically whatever that space is, you know, on the second and third floor from the footprint on the first floor, they want to build an, build an addition, you know, add a bedroom, make a, you know, their, their bedrooms on the third floor, they want to have a master suite type thing. So looking at the zoning and all of this, um, I think the back of the kitchen actually is an illegal to the current codes is an illegal, right. uh, uh, you know, per, per the, the, the setbacks and everything, because literally they have a one foot rear yard and not even that because hey. they have a bay window that comes in. Like there's a, I have a picture of the fence. It's like literally like their bay window and in six inches. And then there's a fence, you know, so um. but, 
<laughs> yeah, it's going to be challenging to build yeah. today's code in those constraints. Yeah, yeah. So, but the wall between the kitchen and the um, dining room is perfect for like, oh, can we build the new addition right on that? Because there's a foundation and everything. But it ends up that the um, there's another two feet you could gain if you go towards the back past that wall. So I wanted to show these clients like, you know, here's the layout that you want. But I also wanted to let them know that like, but the bearing wall that's below structurally mm -hmm. is about two feet inboard of that. So if you want to maximize your size of your house, of your addition, um, you're going to not be off of there. So we ha there's other things we have to kind of consider structurally for this. But if we moved it back two feet and we're right on there, you know, then it's, you know, we're just kind of stacking right on top. It's, you know, it's going to be a little bit easier. So, so I show them plan with a little dot, like dotted walls. Mm -hmm. And they're like, okay, we saw that. But then it was like, they really kind of clicked when I had like a 3D section cut through and they could see the walls where they lined up from each other. Right. So it was very, it's very, you know, the 3D aspect that it was so helpful. And like, you know, they got it right away. Right away. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I got it. The design cycles just seem to happen way faster. Yeah. Um, so we're going to like wind up. I did want to get some ideas from you. Where do you see digital going? Cause I do feel like with this collaborative and integrated platforms that there are the possibilities of construction are more expansive. Do you have any that you kind of geek out to? Yeah, I actually, like when you talk about virtual reality, I'm not too excited about that. Like, okay. I'm like, I see there's the, the use of that, but I'm more excited about augmented reality. Right. I, I, th I think there's, you know, like there's just a lot more possibilities with that. Like I'm just imagining, you know, the ability for you to stand on like an empty, so let's say you have like a school building or something and you stand there and you have like, you know, all the data points are kind of synced with each other that you could sit there with the device, stand in the actual field of mm -hmm. where something's going to be built and then bring that up in some way, you know, whether, you know, maybe it is a virtual reality type thing, but I, I just see it as like, you know, you're holding an iPad. I've seen examples of that, you know, right. where you move around and you could actually sit there and like look at, look at the physical, where you are physically and then Overlaid. see where it's going to be completed. And it could definitely, you know, as the construction site is, is, is developed you know you have just the steel you know you're in the gymnasium and you can see where the basketball hoop's going to be or the bleachers are going to be or anything else you know with with that so i i think that there's a lot of um opportunities with the augmented reality side um in the in the future the uh, i'm very excited you know we were just talking about like the laser scanning that's just going to get more and more cost effective more and more economical people are going to use it more heck I was scanning the other day this this house for this construction company and another architect, and the one guy texts me as I'm doing the scan. He's like, "Hey, I just drove down such and such a street. There was another guy with that same camera you had, <laughs> you know, doing something else." And I was like, "Yep, get used to it. You're going to see it more and more." <laughs> it's true. You know? yeah. It is. It does seem to. There's circumstances that seem to be fast tracking some of some of the adoption rates, which I appreciate. So yeah. very clearly you were passionate about what you do and how you do it. If folks wanted to reach out to you and decided that they were going to make you their mentor, how do they get a hold of you? Is there, you know, anything that you'd like to share with them? 
Sure. Uh, I mean, my basic um, contact is, you know, through my firm, Dauntless Design Collaborative. Uh, the website is dauntlessdc.com, you know, DC, like Washington, DC, mm-hmm. or Design Collaborative. <laughs> yep. um, you know, Facebook, Instagram, um, you know, so, you know, Facebook, Dauntless Design Collaborative, I believe it's Dauntless DC on Instagram. And then uh, I also have a podcast called Rich the Architect. And I have a page on Facebook and Instagram, Rich the Architect as well. Um, the Instagram one's kind of like, that's more like my personal thing. So you'll see pictures of like, you know, my kid and I in our gardens on our farm and <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, uh, but, we, but, uh, well, I've, I've really enjoyed our time. I'm so glad that you reached out. Thank you mm-hmm. so much. Yeah. No problem, Lindsay. Yeah. Appreciate being on and uh, yeah. Hope to, hope to maybe be on sometime in the future as well.